Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Controversy at the Emirates, drama in De Classica, and a surprise Champions League contender. We'll be discussing all that and more today. As joining myself, Matt Froelich, are as always Dan Burke. Good afternoon. And our very own Alex Mott. Hello. I thought I'd start with a quick stat for you guys. Uh, you saw that Cristiano Ronaldo hit his 700th club goal versus Everton, followed by the uh, by the Instagram post where Man United got some gold balloons in for him. <laughs> um, bizarre. Anyway, uh, Erling Haaland would need to score 37 goals for the next 15 years to reach that, which at the moment seems doable. Very yeah. doable. Yeah, easy. Um, <laughs> we, we 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 wax we wax lyrical about Haaland at the minute, right? And Ronaldo seems to be a bit out of fashion. Um, but does that put into perspective what an insane career he's had, Dan? Who Ronaldo? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> probably not Haaland just yet. I mean, maybe up I until think he's now, had a pretty yeah, insane Ronaldo. career so far. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's it goes without saying, doesn't it, that seven hundred goals is uh, is a pretty impressive return. Uh, you know, there's been a lot talked about Ronaldo in recent weeks. I think he is he is starting to show signs of wear and tear at this point in his career, and uh, you know, isn't uh, the most popular man in the the Man United team at the moment in terms of starting matches and, and getting minutes under his mm. belt. But you know, with the World Cup coming up, he's uh, he's still going to be a useful player for Portugal to have there. He's you know still going to want to. Uh, be scoring goals on the on the biggest stage of them all, and uh, I still think it, this this perhaps an, another chapter of, of Ronaldo's career still to be written that uh, we'll we'll see perhaps if not flourish at Man United, then maybe he'll, he'll move somewhere else in, uh, in in January. Maybe he'll get that that coveted move to Saudi Arabia and, uh, and really kick on from there. <laughs> I, I had a thought it kind of sent me it sent my mind spinning a little bit that if and it's obviously a big if we were Haaland were to score 37 per season not more not less uh, <laughs> he would bag his 37th goal of the season in 2037 to make it 700 which seems like I'm not even sure if the world will exist by then uh, but Alex Alex could you give us one prediction of what football will look like when Haaland oh. scores his 700th goal in 2037 will it will there even be a Premier League um, no we'll probably be about 20 seasons into the Super League at that point <laughs> yeah. won't we? I would have thought so no probably not <laughs> I honestly I have no idea what the footballing landscape in, in England in Europe or the world will look like in 2037 but of course yeah get every, every player on a hoverboard um, you can email us one football, uh, sorry, podcast at onefootball.com. You can also tweet us at onefootball. Uh, we've got at Fuzzball Dan, at Matt underscore Frolic, and Alex's, what's yours again? Uh, at Alex J. Mott. At Alex J. Mott. Tweet us what you yeah. think the footballing world will look like in 2037 as Haaland bags his 700th club goal. <laughs> I, I also have to point out because. This is the state of the internet these days. We talk about Ronaldo reaching 700. Messi will reach 700 in nine goals time. Oh. Uh, 691 he's on in a hundred over 100 games less than Ronaldo. So yeah, Ronaldo, um, Ronaldo did it first though, didn't he? That's going to be the, the bone of contention that people are going to have with that. Oh, of course. And people love to split those two, apparently. And the, 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 um, both, right. the both still about 300 short of Pele's record, aren't they? So, yeah. you know, no, it's like 500. Yeah, <laughs> Is it? yeah so, he, so he says, yeah. <laughs> so he says, uh, according to the Pele Instagram account. Anyway, let's get on with the podcast. We'll start with the Premier League. Um, we are guilty, amongst others, of saying that Arsenal were yet to face a big test, but they've dispatched of Spurs and now Liverpool in recent games, Dan. Are they mm. City's main rivals to the Premier League title this year? And how worried are you? 
I thought you were going to say, are they still yet to face a big test? In which I would have agreed with you. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe some say until they face City, there is no. Test, yeah, but it's a bit of a shame actually because we were due to play talk. each other in a couple of weeks, but it's been uh, it's been postponed because of the postponements around the Queen's death. So they've not even got a new date for it yet. But you know that midweek mm. run of fixtures they've got. It was supposed to be a Thursday night game, but it would have been interesting. I think it would have been good for Arsenal to play City at this time at home as well. You know. Um, at this stage of the season, the momentum that they're on might have been a good opportunity to, to beat City. Whereas when the game's rearranged, it might be a different a different story. But yeah, I mean, it's it's hard not to say that they are City's main contender at the moment, given that uh, they're well, they're top of the league at the moment and they've played really well. You know, Liverpool seem to have dropped away already, which is a bit of a surprise. Perhaps not a surprise if you've. Uh, if you're watching this season or, you know, take a note of their their treatment table. Uh, there's been a lot of players on that and that's been a big deal for them. Um, and it's kind of strange, still really can't get my head around the possibility that Liverpool aren't in the title race on the 11th of October. And I still think they might get back into it. But if they don't, then it looks like it's only going to be Arsenal, really. I mean, Tottenham still might have a say in it. I don't really I know, know if they've got the minerals for, for a sort of long uh, title challenge, how long that's going to last. I don't know if, if Chelsea are... A, be surprised if they were, be surprised if Man United got involved in it. So it's looking good for Arsenal, but I think longevity is still a bit of a question mark about them. You know, it's still nine games into the season. It's still a little bit too early to be drawing too many conclusions about things. And you look at the the talent that City have got, the experience City have got of going all the way in these title races. And you'd have to say that despite Arsenal's good start, City are probably pretty strong favourites to win the league now. But yeah, I think it will be, it'll be interesting to see how, how Arsenal do when they come up against City. That will be the biggest test of them all. Mm. As for the actual game, Alex, um, do we agree with the, let's go through some of them, the handball decision, some of the controversy uh, for Gabriel. Uh, the, the official line was it hit his chest first, apparently. Yeah, I don't. So I no don't, handball. I mean, I didn't get that at all. I don't know if you saw the Marcus Rashford's one later on Sunday where that hit his knee and then hit his hand and that, yeah. was, that wasn't given. So yeah, I couldn't, I didn't really understand that one at all. I was sort of watching the game with the sound down and I thought, oh, well, that's going to be given. And then all of a sudden the game carried on. I was like, what's happening here? So yeah, I really didn't get that one at all. I, without sounding like the sort of bastard love child of Sam Allardyce and Tony Pierce. Yeah. We just want consistency. That's all yeah, we I thought want. you were going to say the game's gone. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I I really didn't get that one at all. And then... Um, the penalty yeah, decision I, the afterwards? Penalty, yeah. I can sort of... I think it was soft, personally, but I can sort of see... You can totally see why it was given. He sort of come in from behind, just clipped him. Maybe Gabriel Jesus maybe went down a tad easy. But, yeah, I think travelling at that pace, he is going to he's gonna go down in the area. So, yeah, I think it was soft, but I think it probably was a penalty. Do, do you think this is... The, the problem with VAR is that it's giving players the licence to go down under contact and basically saying, look, there's contact, I'm going to make a meal of it until there's a question about it. Yeah, and yeah. Then we'll yeah, just was, sort of wait and see. Yeah, that was always going to be the problem with the VAR, wasn't it? I think people, when people sort of said before VAR was introduced that it was going to rule out controversy and we would get a black or white answer to everything. I mean, that was that's, wasn't the case from about game one of VAR being introduced. <laughs> so yeah, and I think now players are sort of totally used to the idea of it being there and they can play it to their advantage. So yeah, I, that's, that's definitely the case for sure. Will we ever end up in... Because, you know, in tennis, you only get a certain amount of calls, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I so, think it's uh, like three... Is it three per set? Maybe three per match? I'm not quite sure. I mean, be, I, yeah. I, there's there, there's that. There's a DRS system in cricket as well where you can only... You have three per game and 
if you get the if you get the call correctly from your point of view then you don't lose it so you can keep going if you get calls correctly so maybe that is an option but i think it's so difficult to compare games like tennis like cricket like rugby to football where they are much more stop start and there is there there is just a stop in the action which allows you to make those calls in football i think it'd be much more difficult and then you just get people calling for decisions that they know they're not going to get but just to waste time or just to stop the momentum <laughs> of the game so oh, yeah i'm not yeah. I, it's like calling not a entirely, time out in basketball. yeah exactly I, i'm not entirely sure whether that's that's the way to go with, with the var to be honest i'm i'm still obsessed with the idea of having a fully automated refereeing system um which doesn't <laughs> okay. require a referee on the pitch because then when players complain they'll be complaining to no one you know where they always look in the direction of the ref they'll just sort of be like like on the sims when they're hungry and they start of waving to the sky would they get rid of the, uh, like, the the fourth officials as well so the managers can stop complaining yeah. to them about things that yeah. they have nothing to do with like <laughs> yeah. At least when the exactly. referee's being complained to, he was involved in the decision-making somewhat. Well, the guy in the touchline's just there to sort of take an ear-bashing, isn't he, really? I feel a bit sorry for him. That That is always quite funny. You see someone berating the fourth official, and he's like, mate, I'm sat next to you. <laughs> yeah. I'm no closer than you are to I the I agree action. with you, if anything, but <laughs> yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> oh, it's quite funny. Uh, anyway, moving on to uh, some other bits around the Premier League. Um, Newcastle, demolished, I've written here, Brentford, 5-1. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if either of you saw this match, but Brentford uh, shooting themselves in the foot is is probably a polite way of putting it. There was two direct <laughs> errors leading to goals and then an own goal. Um, can anyone sort of try and give a, a, a crumb of comfort to a Brentford fan? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think they've, I mean, they've, they're obviously going to have better results for the rest of the season, but... Mm. They started the season pretty well. It was just one of those days and teams, doesn't matter where you are in the league, teams have these days, don't they, where they just can't get anything right. It, I think it was David Ray, the goalkeeper, passed straight to Callum Wilson mm, for that second yeah. goal. Um, yeah, there was obviously the own goal as well right at the end. Yeah, it was just, it, the game just got away with them. But I I do think we should praise Newcastle a little bit. I thought they were on the, the one-year anniversary of the takeover. They um, Yeah, that was about as good as I've seen them play in a long, long time. I think it, I read somewhere that it's the first time since Bobby Robson that they've scored more than four goals in two consecutive games. Um, so that's nearly 20 years ago. Wow, and yeah on the same weekend that Steve Bruce got sacked by West Brom. So it all sort of fell into place for Newcastle fans this weekend. <laughs> I did, I did, uh, oh yeah, God, I did see that as well. There, That's that's a shocking run of form that West Brom have been going on. Yes, um, is, but yeah, as, as for Newcastle, I did mention actually last week, uh, Dan, I said that Brighton could be the ones to crack mm. the top six. Are Newcastle a better bet? Maybe. I mean, to be honest, I do think that the top six this year will probably be the big six, as they're known. Uh, in what order? I don't know yet, but I do. I, I suspect that will be the case, that those teams will finish in those of those six positions. So, you know, Newcastle and Brighton might be fighting out for seventh spot, uh, which I think would be, you know, for Brighton, a great achievement. It, we don't really know what, you know, they're going to look like completely under Deserby yet. They've made a, a fairly decent start, but, uh, you know, it's, it's early days for them. Whereas with Newcastle, um, they're making decent progress in recent weeks. You know, prior to the last couple of games, I think they'd drawn six games in a row, was it? Or they'd gone six games without a win. So uh, th- there was almost a bit of rumblings of discontent about them, about maybe always oh, is, is this Eddie Howe sort of 
reverting to the mean? Are, are we actually seeing much progress under him? You know, like Alex said, it has been a year since the takeover and progress has been good. It's been about as you know good as you p- could perhaps expect. You know, they haven't moved mountains. They haven't really spent uh, the money that perhaps people envisagedly would. They haven't brought in, you know, Kylian Mbappe or stuff like that that was talked about at the time. It's been it's been very slow and steady and, and I guess that's fine. And I guess a top 10 finish for them this season would be absolutely brilliant uh, if they could get that. And if they could get even higher than that, then then even better. But yeah, I suspect like, you know, seventh would probably be about as much as, as Newcastle can hope for. But definitely like the, the past couple of results, they're looking good again. They're, 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 they're moving in the right direction. So uh, they've got Man United away at the weekend, which will be a nice little test for them at this point, I think. Yeah. Yeah. They do absolutely, yeah. I think we'll we'll preview that one as 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 well as some others on Thursday. Mm. Myself and Dan. Um, the the thing is, I always saw with Newcastle is exactly the same as what I thought about last January. They have the ability to change their expectations halfway through a season. Yeah, like they can go from they were relegation candidates, the takeover, bringing in Eddie Howe. January was brilliant. They did some really good business. And then went on a brilliant run. So now it's got to the point where I think if come January 1st, the opening of the transfer window, they are in the top six, they can suddenly say, right, we're going to start spending like a big European club. <laughs> and they can basically take the step without having to finish in the top six and prove that they're you know capable of playing in the Europa League to, to prospective new players. I just think they can make that switch, you know, halfway through a season as opposed to at the end of a season. Um, and... Ah, there's going to be a there's it, it's going to be close. I I think they do have the potential, and it would be a lot sooner than many people thought. I think the top four maybe is a bit too far. Yeah. Um, but like you mentioned earlier, Dan, there's so many teams who aren't in the title race: Chelsea, United, Liverpool, for example. So you say Spurs haven't got the legs. I'd probably agree with you. Who knows? Maybe it's one of those freakish seasons <laughs> where everyone everyone's quite poor and Newcastle sneak in. Uh, anyway, it's the title some, race. Di- no, no, it's the top four. I meant, it's the top <laughs> yeah, four. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talking of discontent, uh, we always talk about Brendan Rodgers' inevitable sacking, but we'll switch focus to another Midlands club with Aston Villa. Uh, Alex, how much time does Steven Gerrard have left? Uh, I, I've written there one all draw with Forrest was typically blunt of them in attack, um, aside yeah. from obviously that banger from Ashley. Yeah, it was an amazing, amazing goal, wasn't it? Um, yeah, yeah I'd, I mean, I think I've said on this podcast before, but I do think Gerrard's been sort of let off the hook a little bit, certainly by... The press, so or the press, sort of national press rather than the local press in in Birmingham. But I just don't. I just I watched a little bit of that game last night, and I've watched them a bit uh, so far this season. They just don't have a plan or any discernible plan that I can see. They then they haven't got a way of playing. They've sort of they they've spent a lot of money in the summer. They spent a lot of money in January. They're just he's been given all the tools at his disposal, Stephen Gerrard, and he's just not making the most of them at all at the moment. There's he's chopping and changing. There was obviously that fallout with well, fallout maybe is a bit too harsh, but he um dropped he took the captaincy off Tyrone Mings in the summer and that sort of created a bit of a weird sort of atmosphere at the start of the season, which was entirely of his own making. I didn't really understand that at all. And I certainly didn't understand the way he went so publicly about it. Um yeah, and they've just, if if Gerard hadn't spent that much money, I think you could probably give him a bit more time. But they've spent so much money over the past 12 months, 18 months, that I do think unless results sort of pick up, then, yeah, they're going to, he's going to be out on his ass fairly soon. <laughs> I don't, um, 
I, I do think there's probably a lot of better candidates out there for the village of Villa, a massive club. And yeah, like I say, they do spend money. So that'd be a very attractive proposition for, a, for an up and coming coach. And yeah, I just don't, I don't think Gerard's that certainly at the moment. I, I wonder whether the step from Rangers to Villa was a bit too, bit too much of a big one for him at the moment in his coaching career. But um, yeah, they just, they just look clueless at the moment as opposed to teams like Brighton, like Newcastle, where you know exactly how they want to play week in, week out, no matter what the results are. Villa just sort of seem to be going from week to week, just mixing and matching and yeah, have just have no clue. So yeah, it's a yeah, difficult time for Stephen Gerrard, I think, at the moment. Yeah, I saw him getting absolute pelters on Twitter. You know, you know me. I love to peruse through Twitter every so often. Uh, it, it really feels like the Villa fans do not like Gerrard. Not one no. bit. Not one bit. I, someone commented going, we couldn't attack a sticky toffee pudding. I was like, well, that's completely... That's, that's not a saying, is it, Dan? Have I missed something there? Uh, well, I could certainly attack a sticky toffee pudding with gusto. So, yeah. It's not a saying in my house, I'll tell you that. But um, yeah, it's interesting with Gerard. Like, how, how long do you think you give it with him? Is a year too... Is it too quick, really? Like, Because it's been about a year that he's been in charge, though, is it? Is that, mm. Are we judging him a bit too early? Is that a bit of the sort of the nature of football that like a guy's been, had a year in a job, not made significant progress, but then should he be expected to make significant progress in, in, in the space of a year? I don't know, really. Maybe not, but I do. There's just been no progress, has there? As far mm. as as far as I can see, there's just... Apart from the first no, like couple of months that he was there, maybe? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but apart from that, they've totally regressed. There's no... Yeah, like I said, there's, there just doesn't seem to be any momentum about that club at the moment. I think when you spend the money that he did spend and has spent mm. recently, then yeah, you're always going to be subject to harsher criticism. Yeah. Well, weirdly enough, I always find the transfer window is actually where managers probably end up sowing the seeds for their own demise. <laughs> yeah. Because every yeah, time, totally, every yeah. time there's a transfer window, right, the club will. Uh, fans definitely always want to see improvements, right? You want the latest big signing. You want money to be spent. You want the manager to be backed, this, that, and the other. And to some extent, the club needs to give in to that. They need to show that they're thinking about the future. They need to show progress. They need to show ambition. They need to go out there and buy the top quality players. But it's also then putting pressure on the manager because then you can turn around and say, like you did, Alex, well, you know, Aston Villa has spent this much money and Gerard's not done the business, so he's got to go. And it's kind of like, well, he might, I'm not saying he did, but Cooper's a great example at Nottingham Forest. Did he really want yeah. 23 new players? <laughs> or was there yeah. just such fanfare and such demand for Forest to compete, to spend money and to be ambitious that now Cooper's thinking, oh, I, I really didn't need this many players. No, it's like when you want some chocolate at Christmas and you get bought too much and you're like, I'm going to feel sick after this. <laughs> but but you get into the sticky toffee pudding anyway. <laughs> uh, right, and we'll... also, sorry, Matt. Sorry, Matt. Cool. And also, Villa are dreadful. They're really bad yeah. to watch. Um, the, was it, what game was it? That Friday night game recently. Was it Fulham maybe? They won 1-0? No, maybe not. Mm. Anyway, there was a game, maybe West Ham. I mean, it was just absolutely horrific. And, then, <laughs> so, and I do think that plays a big part of it. The, the fans that go week in, week out, mm. they do want to be entertained, especially at a club like Villa, and they are not providing that at but, the moment. So, so that's the thing then. Uh, lastly on Villa, do you, as as the football club, in January, do you give in to the fans and buy better players, new players, but then also are you 
pouring money under a new manager and basically backing the wrong horse in in Steven Gerrard. Yeah. What do you do there? I'd I'd probably keep my powder dry in January, give Gerrard until and also the thing with all of this the context is there's a world mm. cup in in december yeah. so we don't know how like what's going to happen post that you know villa haven't got a huge amount of players going to the world cup off the top of my head so maybe post christmas they will go on a mad run because the big clubs have struggled because all their mm. players are going to the world cup so but then on the other hand maybe that is the best time to get rid of gerard because they can give the manager a new like the new manager bounce post christmas and can go from there so i i personally would give him a bit longer but mm. yeah if they haven't picked up by say march then yeah that's probably probably curtains for him i think they should they should have like an international sacking day on like the 15th of november where everybody yeah, wants to get yeah, rid of the manager yeah. before the world cup just today's <laughs> yeah. the day fuck off <laughs> <laughs> i i actually think you know after the world cup there's always this frenzy of players who made their name at a world cup and then they go on to sign for someone hammers mm. uh, rodriguez comes to mind in 2014 mm. it's going to be that but the january transfer window it's going to be that but in the middle of a season everyone's going to be like well post world cup we got to sign all the stars january is january is going to be interesting and i'm all here for it uh right we'll move on from the premier league to the bundesliga as their classica returned this weekend uh, as it does twice a year in the bundesliga dortmund and bayern played out a two-all draw alex you were covering this one um was it hard fought well-deserved point for dortmund or did bayern blow it or a little bit of both um, yeah, it probably was a little bit of both, actually. I thought Dortmund started the game really well. Obviously, the atmosphere was was crazy inside the stadium uh, at Dortmund. And it was sort of a bit of a midfield battle, um, quite nasty, actually, first 20 minutes, a few yellow cards for each side. And then just sort of out of nowhere, Goretzka scored to, to give Bayern the lead. Uh, that sort of like took the wind out of Dortmund's sails and then Bayern just like pushed and pushed and pushed and then got the second, I think it was about 10 minutes after half time and looked plain sailing then really. Um, yeah, it was a good finish by Sane, but yeah, Dortmund sort of didn't really know what to do for about 10 minutes. And then Bayern just sort of, where this came from, I don't know, but you could just see it happening in real time where Bayern just sort of fell apart like tissue paper. And it it was just so obvious that, that, that they were going to like drop points. Makoko scored with 15 minutes to go, the youngest player ever to score in that fixture. And it, yeah, it was a great finish. But Upa Meccano just totally lost him on the edge of the area. I think they lost Davies. Bayern lost Davies to the, um, yeah, well, I think he's hurt his skull with it in that collision with Bellingham mm, yeah. um, since, since come out. So, yeah, they sort of lost their shape a little bit. Makoko scored to make it 2-1. And then they just pushed and pushed and pushed for the equaliser. And you know when you just watch a game and you just know that the team's going to get an equaliser. Um, and yeah, that happened. That happened with Dortmund. Coman got sent off in the 90th minute. And then for the last sort of five, six minutes of injury time, it was, you know, goalkeeper in the box, just mm. pumping <laughs> long balls in. Um, and yeah, it was Anthony Modest who'd actually missed a chance about three minutes earlier. Um, he was sort of at the far post and couldn't get his feet sorted and just hit it straight at Neuer. Um, yeah, he was a cross came in from the right-hand side. He lost his man, who I've, I think it might have been Upa Meccano again, yeah, actually. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, just sort of, a ball just went over his head, completely lost his man, and Modest was there, far post to, to just head it in. So, yeah, it, it probably it was a fair result in sort of the, the grand scheme of things. But I, I don't know, I do think, I mean, from the position that Bayern were in, 2-0 up, 
Um, yeah, they'll really feel hard done by. I don't know if you saw Oliver Kahn's reaction at the end of the game. That I was probably, just about uh, to say. <laughs> that, that probably summed it up, really, from a buying point of view. But, um, yeah, I thought Dortmund, Dortmund did really well to sort of, from where they were, certainly on the hour mark, to come back and get a point was was huge for them. Um, and, yeah, just a word on Bellingham, really, despite him uh, assaulting Alfonso Davis. Um, he was exceptional and he just looks like just such a good player at night. It's just crazy that he's 19. He just, he bossed that game in the midfield. I thought he was absolutely superb. D- didn't he absolutely clatter Musiala as well? Yeah, that, that was in like the first 20 minutes. There was like three yellow cards each. Um, oh and uh, he was one of them. So yeah, he sort of let him know you're there type thing. So yeah, and then actually Musiala, Musiala was brilliant as well, actually. The way he just just always on the half turn, always like scanning to, to see where players are. And, you know, he's got such, both feet are just amazing. So yeah, he, he was excellent as well. So yeah, a lot of good young players in this game. It was a, it was mm. a great watch. Uh, Dan, the Bundesliga always gets a bit of a rep for being a farmer's league. So when Bayern Munich <laughs> aren't top and aren't winning every game, shouldn't we say, oh, look how a competitive league it is. It's really interesting rather than just, yeah, but Union Berlin are only top because Bayern are crap. Well, I guess so, yeah. I mean, like I would say about the Premier League earlier, we've only played, what, nine, ten games throughout Europe, really. So it's it's a bit early to say, isn't it, how, you know, how these leagues are going to develop over the next uh, few months and, you know, with the World Cup as well. But I'm, I'm sure Bayern will win the league <laughs> again. I'm sure they will. Like, I've, I've no doubt about that. I would put put a lot of money on it, but it's not enough for them, is it, really? They want to see progress in the Champions League and, and the performances have been good in the Champions League this so far. You know, the, the top of the group, they're doing pretty well. Would I back them to go on and win it? Probably not, based on performances like the one against Dortmund at the weekend. That's a worry for them. Um, you know, it, it still doesn't feel like Nagelsmann has truly got a grip of the task at hand with Bayern, really, that it's it's such a big job with so much pressure. You know, even winning the Bundesliga isn't going to save your skin necessarily. Um, mm. You know, obviously, I think, it wasn't considered a great season for them last year, but they did win the league, so it was it was uh, you know something for him to argue about himself. But yeah, I I feel like they probably will win the league, and then they'll probably part company with with Nagelsmann in the summer. That just tends to be how how things go with Bayern, and I'm I'm sensing a bit of discontent with them about the almost yeah. saying like, why yeah. why did we why did we sign Sadio Mane? And it's like you know Liverpool are wondering you know how they would be fair without with Sadio Mane still the team. And, how, and they're not looking particularly good with him gone. And, and Bayern are almost wondering whether he was the right signing for them. So it's been a strange old start to the season, but it is only October. So, oh, sorry. Sorry, no, I don't know if you read Robert Lewandowski's quotes today, actually. I, I think it came out about two hours ago that he said he's already feeling a better connection with Xavi than he did with Nagelsmann. So I don't know <laughs> if that sort of says something Ooh, about Nagelsmann's, appro- Nagelsmann's approach with like big players or... Or whatever, I don't know. I just thought it was quite an interesting quote, considering, they, yeah. Bayern's well, they, they don't so. like him, apparently, do they? The players, like, they think he's a bit of a tit, yeah. basically, which is uh, yeah. what, I've, what I've heard on the grapevine, that they don't like the way he dresses on the touchline. And, you know, he's what he's still he's still really young, isn't he? He's still, what, 36 or something? So I wonder if that's yeah. a bit, a bit yeah. of a strange dynamic where the, the, uh, the manager isn't that much older than you and doesn't kind of command that kind of authority and, you know, hadn't really mm. achieved an awful lot in the game before going there either. Um, comparatively for for what Bayern expects, so yeah, it's uh, it's not uh, there's a bit of trouble in paradise there, I think, isn't there? That's sort of the same vibe that I thought we might get a Chelsea with Potter, mm. but that's obviously uh, a, a far uh, too we early. We still to might, say. <laughs> yeah. We still yeah. might. I love the idea of uh, one of the Bayern players come out and going, "Yeah, Nogsman's just a bit of a tit." 
like that. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a direct quote, I by the way. I can, I can point that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah. not a direct quote. Would be hilarious if so. Uh, one of Bayern Munich's former midfielders, though, and of course of um, uh, Real Madrid and Liverpool fame, Xavi Alonso, uh, made a cracking start to his coaching life in the Bundesliga with Leverkusen. They beat Schalke 4-0. Uh, are we expecting similar levels of success to his playing career, Dan, as well as him being quite possibly the most handsome manager ever? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't argue with a 4-0 win to begin with, can you? But, I mean, Schalke are pretty poor, so I think that probably had a lot to do with it. I mean, he's uh, he's done well to get that job, really, because I think he got Real Sociedad B promoted, I think, didn't he? And then got mm. relegated with them and then left. So he's only, he's been a third-tier promoted coach and a second-tier relegated coach, and now he's got a job at... You know, one of the biggest clubs in the Bundesliga who in the Champions are, in the, are in the Champions League, who finished yeah. in the top four last season, who, you know, their coach is a pretty good example of someone who had uh, everything going for him at the end of last season. Everyone thought he was doing a superb job and nine games into this one, and he's out on his ear and Alonso's come in. I mean, I really hope he does well because I really like Xavi Alonso. I've, I've, I really loved him as a player and uh, seems like a decent fella, pretty switched on, intelligent guy. So good luck to him. But uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that one develops because... Uh, a 4 0 win to start is, is pretty good, but we'll see how it goes. It, it, he's always one of these coaches, uh, well, when a managerial appointment like this happens, that I'm more interested in watching him joining in in training. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just think that'd be such, such interesting content to watch Javi Lonzo just pinging the ball around because it always I reminds me. I bet he can me, still do a job. Oh, yeah. Bet, it reminds me of Mark Hughes. When Mark yeah. Hughes scored that volley in training for City, do you remember that, Dan? I do, yeah. It was yeah. Like on the full. Yeah, who was yeah, just um, the most ridiculous guy? Who was the Danish manager at Swansea, Laudrup? And um, I listened to oh, yeah. um, an interview with Ash- Ashley Williams, the Swansea captain, once saying that he was their best player. The manager was still their best player <laughs> in training, uh, forty-eight years old or whatever he was. <laughs> Some serious talent. I'd also love to see because there's been breaking news today that uh, Daniele De Rossi has taken his first steps into management uh, in Serie B with Spal. Um, and just the idea of him absolutely twatting a player in training, <laughs> a, crunch, a crunching sly tackle when they're not expecting it. No, that, just... there's a guy that you wouldn't go to the press saying you think he's a tit, would you? Like that would get yeah, if that yeah. got back to you, you'd be in big trouble with him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would like to think there's a bit more. Um, uh, culture maybe to De Rossi's approach as a manager rather than seeing him as like <laughs> Roy Keane basically we all expect in England we expect Roy Keane to just go into a, a club some saying West Brom at the minute um, and, and just sort of be an angry bastard that he was in midfield and scare the living crap <laughs> out of people into promotion I'd like to think that De Rossi has a little bit of that in him but maybe a little bit more <laughs> culture is yeah. the word West Brom are very desperate if they're turning to Roy Keane, I think, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, well, they, they've been through pretty much everyone else. I mean, Pulis is <laughs> off, has already been there. Pardew's already been there. Allardyce has already been there. Hodgson's yeah. already been there. Um, so, uh, who are we left with? Who's, who's another roundabout? Martin O'Neill? Harry Redknapp? <laughs> Redknapp, I'd yeah. love to see that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that would be that'd be brilliant. Uh, anyway, moving on from the Bundesliga, now we come to Syria, and then we'll move on to the Champions League fairly quickly uh, because Napoli, we have to speak about them on an insane run of form. They've won their last eight in all competitions, twenty-five goals scored, six conceded. They scored six at Ajax last week um, and made that four-one win over Liverpool. Maybe not look so bad for Jurgen Klopp's men. Um, are we looking at a Champions League contender, Alex, as well as a Syria contender? I mean, 
you'd be a fool to say otherwise at the moment, wouldn't you? I think they're probably pound for pound the best team in Europe at the moment, playing the best football. Mm. Um, yeah, like you say, eight wins in a row. I mean, the Serie A is a very competitive division actually this season, and they're just sort of swatting everyone aside so far. They, yeah, they beat Cremonese, I think it was this weekend. Yeah, four one. Yeah, four one, and they just. What I like about them as well is like they're missing Oshiman, but they're still scoring goals and they're scoring goals from all over the pitch. Um, Simeone, Politano scored a few this season. Lozano's chipping in with a few. Um, Matthias Oliveira's got a few as well. So, yeah, they're just, yeah, they're looking excellent. And I think it's about time Spalletti got his dues as well. I think he's probably been one of the most underrated coaches in Europe for, for a long time. And yeah, it's just nice to see that um, he's got Napoli playing like they have really, because they are, they're not just winning games. They're just they're excellent to watch as well. Yeah. Mm. Pete's scoring six at Ajax. I think that's the first time anyone's ever done that in the Champions League. Um, yeah. Putting four past Liverpool. Yeah. They, they look, they look excellent at the moment. And if they can, and like we were just saying earlier about the world cup, if they can and obviously the Italy aren't going there, so a lot of uh, Napoli's players won't be there. Hopefully, they can keep that momentum going post Christmas. And yeah, who knows? Who knows where they'll be at the end of the season? Yeah, uh, we, we should add in as well that you know some of those victories include away at Lazio, away at AC Milan, away at Ajax, yeah. home to Liverpool. Um, yeah, and as, as we mentioned, they've got Ajax again this week in the Champions League, the reverse fixtures. But there's a few others that we will focus on. Uh, a bit, a few really big games this week in the Champions League. We come to match day four. Uh, not everything can be sorted just yet, but a few things can. Um, however, a very, very interesting and open group is uh, Chelsea's group with uh, AC Milan. They go, Chelsea go to Milan after um, a pretty poor showing from the Italians last week in London with a 3-0 loss. Will it be different this time around, Dan? They had a very good win at the weekend against Juventus. They did, yeah. I mean, Juventus aren't, uh, you know, beating Juventus isn't much to write home about at the moment, is it really? But it was a good win for them to to bounce back, I think, from that, that result at Chelsea where... I thought they were pretty poor in that game. I think they had a few players missing, didn't they? But uh, looked a bit all over the place defensively. I think Tamori had a really bad game against Chelsea, scored against uh, Juventus at the weekend. So he'll be uh, he'll be open to put that one behind him. And uh, you would hope, well, for their sake, that hosting Chelsea at San Siro will be different in terms of the atmosphere, and you know they'll make home advantage count, and they'll they'll get get their own back for, for last week. You know they've got some fabulous players at Milan. You know Rafael Leao is a player that I really like watching. He's brilliant. Um, yeah, brilliant. And uh, and Giroud still still delivering the goods, isn't he? So I think that's going to be a tough game for Chelsea, who have you know been it's been coming together quite nicely for them under Potter in recent weeks. I thought they were they were good at the weekend, good in this game. Uh, this seems to be everyone's playing for Potter, which is something you, you mentioned earlier. That you thought might might not happen. That that seems to be moving in the right direction for them. And uh, he's he's making use of his squad and, and using lots of players. And, you know, Pulisic scoring at the weekend was a, a good one for him where you can get players like that play. And then they've got a good chance, Chelsea. So I think it's going to be a really good game. This one I'm looking forward to watching it, actually. Absolutely. And uh, on Wednesday night as well, uh, Rangers have the chance to pile some more misery on Jurgen Klopp. Uh, will this be happening, Alex? Do you think... I mean, Rangers have been so poor in the Champions League this season. I can't see it happening. But with Liverpool's recent luck. Uh, we're talking three injuries, I believe, from the weekend. Luis Diaz to after the World Cup and Matip and Trent, both for a few yeah. weeks. Yeah, the the, yeah, those, the latter two there, I think they're both out for a couple of weeks. So, yeah, they're going to be struggling defensively. I think if Rangers are going to win a game in the Champions League this season, it could possibly be this one. Um, obviously, the 
Ibrox atmosphere is uh, always noted. But yeah, mm. I think it will be particularly good this time. I know the last time they played at home was um, just after the Queen had died. So it was an interesting atmosphere at Ibrox <laughs> that night. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it might be slightly slightly different this time. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I know we spoke about Liverpool earlier and with the Arsenal game, but they just... They just look like a team of individuals at the moment, which is something that you'd never say before under Klopp. They they really look disjointed. They just they were relying on sort of individual moments of magic against Arsenal, and yeah, rather than the sort of um, group dynamic that they had before. So yeah, I I do I I'm not expecting Rangers to win, but I do wonder if this might be a sort of score draw. I think Rangers might uh, might turn up and surprise a few with this in this result. We're not going to go as far as, as saying that this could be the end for Klopp with a defeat, are we? No, no, no. No, no. no. Who I said that? It wasn't me. <laughs> I don't think that'll be the case, but I do... I don't know. Something does need to change because they, they... I mean, obviously, injuries are a big factor at the moment, mm. but yeah, they just... Yeah, like I said, they just look like a team of individuals um, and they were, yeah, relying on sort of that... Like a bit of Firmino magic for the second goal. Salah looks like his head's gone at the moment. He's not playing well. Mm. Defensively, they're all over the place. Fabinho has gone from being one of the best defensive midfielders in the world to just a bit of a liability. So, and obviously the the fullback issue is uh, one that's been said elsewhere plenty of times. So, yeah, it's yeah they're going to have to perform on Wednesday if they want to get a result at Rangers because yeah, I mean, I know Rangers haven't been great in the Champions League, but they've been performing pretty well in this spell. They mm. beat St Mirren four 0 at the weekend. Um, Kolak is uh, playing well for them, scoring a lot of goals. So, yeah, yeah, who knows? Uh, I wanted to touch very briefly. Sorry, go on, Dan. I was just going to say that Glasgow will be out to get their own back after Liverpool were awarded the Eurovision Song Contest last week, weren't they? So <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, there's going to be revenge in the air in this game, I think. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's why Joel's not on the podcast. He's, <laughs> he's already getting too excited about Eurovision. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to touch very briefly, actually, you mentioned Mo Salah, because we mentioned Mane earlier as well. Is the Mane move to Bayern Munich a bit of a forewarning, I guess, for Mo Salah, Dan? Sort of the grass might not be greener? Mm, I don't know about that. I mean, I always thought the Mane move was a little bit of a strange one for him and for Bayern, really. I thought it was not really the play that they needed and, and I would have expected if he was going to take a kind of step up from Liverpool, then that step up would probably be Real Madrid or Barcelona or something like that. You know, I think, we, you know, what we said about the Bundesliga, Bayern are a bit too dominant there. And I don't really see why Mane went there. I think if Salah does leave Liverpool, it's probably going to be to Real Madrid or Barcelona or somebody like that. Um, I'm, I mean, he needs to start playing a bit better if he's uh, if he's yeah, going to earn himself say. a move because he's not, he's not in form at the moment. But you would say that about a lot of Liverpool players. I do, I do wonder with Liverpool whether they're, the sort of concerns about them are a little bit heightened by the fact that um, you know, City are in such imperious form. Haaland scoring all the time. Um, you know, compared to, to Nunez, that was supposed to be the sort of the jewel of the season, and, and, and it's looking very one-sided at the moment. Arsenal playing well. Liverpool have dropped points and not played brilliantly well in in parts this season. But I could still kind of imagine them, if not holding themselves back into the title race, at least finishing third or second, or even, or you know, still making a play for the Champions League in the second half of the season. I still think Liverpool are kind of going to be okay, and this. Uh, sort of talk of the demise is a bit premature at the moment. They've got Man City at home at the weekend, mm. so it wouldn't surprise me if they beat us and uh, and kicked on from there because they always beat us at Anfield. So uh, we'll talk about a bit more about that one on Thursday yeah, as yeah. well. But yeah, it's uh, 
Yeah, I'm. I'm still. I'm not ready to to sort of bury Liverpool yet. I think. I still think there's there's going to be a bit of a twist there. Uh, quickly we'll get back to the Champions League so there's one more one to talk about Barcelona against Inter Milan after last week's controversy this could be a little bit tasty uh, Dan do you see Barcelona getting the better of Inter at the new Camp well they need to win don't they because it's uh, if they lose yeah. this one they're in big big trouble I mean you, you when the draw was made that was obviously the, uh, looked at as the group of death but you would have fancied Barca to get out of it especially the, the form they've been in in, in the league and uh, you know they lose this one they'll be six points behind Inter you know if, if Bayern do the business then they're pretty much qualified and I think there's a bit of concern I read one that one of the Spanish papers was saying that because it's uh, it's Bayern v Inter in the, the final group game if I'm not mistaken mm-hmm. and they were saying that uh, there's a bit of concern that maybe Bayern would let Inter have some points there to prevent Barcelona from qualifying for the <laughs> latter stages of the Champions League I don't really see how if that goes through players' minds when they're playing, uh, you know, in, in a game in the, in the Champions League, whether it's done uh, a bit of a dead rubber or not, but yeah, I, th- I think it's a must-win for Barcelona this game, isn't it? And uh, they were a little bit hard done by in that game last week, yeah. but I think they probably deserve to lose overall as well. So yeah, they need to uh, need to get get back on track. Uh- I'm glad to see that conspiracy theories go all the way from Twitter to the <laughs> upper echelons of football. That <laughs> yeah. clubs like like Barcelona and Bayern Munich are already worried about potential conspiracy theories that are going <laughs> on. Uh, of course, we will review uh, all of the midweek action and look forward to the weekend's action on Thursday, uh, myself and Dan and another guest. But I thought I'd drop a quick little stat to end the show. Well, a big question for you. Um, along with Bayern Munich, who are the only other team not to concede a Champions League goal this season? Oh, anyone know? Mm. Hmm. Oh, good question. That no, uh, is it. Real Madrid? Is it Real Madrid? City? Is it no? It is not City. It is not Real Madrid. It is Club yeah. Bruges. Oh yeah, ah, three wins out of oh, yeah. three. <laughs> Honestly, I, I've. Um, have been rooting for them. I couldn't tell you anything about Club Bruce <laughs> history, but I am all for it because if they beat Atletico Madrid away from home um, and Porto and Leverkusen play out a draw, Bruges will seal top spot with two games to go. They'll be oh, that wow. far ahead of everyone else in that group, which is astonishing. Um, and it'll also leave Diego Simeone in a bit of a pickle with Atletico Madrid most likely, well, not most likely, but close to dropping out uh, of the Champions League. But I just thought, amazing. Club Bruce threw wins out of three, seven scored, none conceded. Uh, maybe yeah, maybe the dark horses. We'll, yeah. we'll keep an eye on them. We'll keep an eye on them as, as the Champions League develops. Uh, but that's all from us for today. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, guys. Of course, in the meantime... Um, you can let us know what you think football's going to look like in 2037 as we said at the top of the show <laughs> uh, you can get us on Twitter you can also email us the email is podcast at onefootball.com uh, as I mentioned that's all we have time for and we will see you all on Thursday Thursday